Daniel chapter 11. And I believe we left off in verse 21. So let's read, let's start reading in verse 21 down through about 35. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully and he shall become strong with the small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoils, and goods. He shall devise, a, he shall devise plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break, away, shall break from him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail. For the end is yet to be at the, the time appointed. And, and he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. And he shall work his will and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be, at, be this time as it was before. For ships of Katim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offerings and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. And many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. And verse 21 kind of started a, a, a new king uh, kingdom, if you will. You recall that Daniel has received this vision after he had been praying for, for 21 days. And, and an angel came and, and, and told Daniel back in uh, at near the end of, of chapter 10, he said, I will tell you what's inscribed in the book of truth. 
There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael your prince. That the angel had revealed to Daniel this, this spiritual warfare that's going on in the unseen world that had delayed him from, from coming to Daniel. Though God had heard his prayers immediately, the angel was delayed in, in fighting these, these demonic forces that were, that were preventing him from coming. Then the angel went on and he, he laid out um, all the kingdoms that are going to happen uh, in, in related to or pertaining to Israel after, after the current kingdom, after um, Cyrus the Great uh, has, has passed on. In verse 2 he said, There will be, behold, three more kings shall arise and a fourth. He began telling Daniel of, of what was going to happen in, in the kingdom of, of, of Persia, how, how after, after Cyrus there would be three more. There's actually even more than that, some, some lesser kings. But basically what I'm babbling and trying to get to is he begins, he's in 536 B.C., that this angel appears to Daniel with this vision. And then he goes on and he explains, he tells Daniel what is going to happen in these kingdoms that are influencing, ruling, even controlling Israel for the next almost 400 years and then even beyond. That, that, he, that he tells Daniel first uh, in, in verse 2, he, he tells Daniel what's going to happen from about 530 to about 480 B.C., about 50 years, all in that one verse. And then in, in verse 3, he tells Daniel what's going to happen in 336 to 323 B.C. That's Alexander the Great. But then in, in verses 4 through 20, we have a, a, a greater time period. It's about 150 years from 323 to 175 B.C. The angel goes and he tells Daniel, this king's going to arise in the north. This king's going to arise in the, in the south. This is going to happen. And just the constant conflict that's going on in, in the north, Syria, Babylon, part of Asia Minor, and the south, Egypt, and what's right in between? Israel. These, these two kingdoms are going to be struggling back and forth. And he, and he goes and he, he doesn't name any of these kings, but we can find from Josephus, from, uh, from other historical writers, exactly who they were and how accurate the descriptions of what they did, the angel told Daniel beforehand. Is that a surprise that, that this angel bringing a message from God to Daniel can tell Daniel what's going to happen? That was a long question, right? It was, but it, it really only required a yes or no answer. Is that a surprise? That It's not. And yet, through history, many skeptics and unbelievers have said, well, this couldn't possibly have been written in the 6th century B.C. because these events don't happen. Well, it can't unless you believe in an almighty God who is sovereign and controls history and knows what's going to happen and has a, and has a plan. 
the angel told him, this is what's written in the book of truth, that, that God has these events written down. So I think one of our first applications is that, that God is in control. That's the theme of the whole book of Daniel, that, that God is in control. So from verses 5 through 20, he, he, he listed these kings and events that would happen uh, between about 323 B.C. after Alexander the Great died to about 175 B.C. when a king of the north, Seleucus IV, died. I'm not sure how to segue into that. He, he, he was telling all of the, the, the kingdoms, the fighting, the conflict. He's going to give this daughter in marriage and that daughter in marriage, and yet they're going to end up loving their husband more than their daddy, and so they're going to turn against their daddy, and they're going to fight. It's going to be this constant conflict going on. In verse 21, we, we meet this new ruler. His name is not given in Daniel, but by history we know him to be Antiochus IV. Who, who named him, who gave himself the nickname Antiochus Epiphanes, Manifest One. And, and on the coins from that day they, that, that archaeologists have found, it even says Epiphanes Theos, manifestation of God. He thought himself to be a manifestation of God. And, and so the, the angel says, after this previous king, who happened to be um, Antiochus the fourth brother, after he died, remember, he, he, he was a heavy taxer. He, he taxed the people so bad, even his tax collector didn't like it. And he poisoned Antiochus IV. When Antiochus IV died, his son should have been, Demetrius, should have been made king. But he wasn't. He was imprisoned in Rome for something his granddaddy had done. And so, he, he, so that gave Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, an opening to, to, to usurp the power. Verse 21, In those days shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He was not to be the king, but what does it say? By flatteries he obtained the kingdom. Flatteries and bribes. And so we have, we have this 21 through 35, 15 verses that describe Antiochus Epiphanes, one of the most evil rulers in, in, in the history of, of the world, in the history of rulers. He, he was contemptible. He was, he was evil. And then he, he, the writer, the angel is telling Daniel what's, what's going to happen. Verse 22, armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. The ESV doesn't capitalize prince there. It seems to be talking about the, the prince who should have been the, the, the next king or possibly the, the kingdom, the prince of the kingdom of the south. He's, he's, he's a strong military leader and, and he sweeps through um, land, taking more land. He makes a... Verse 23, from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully and shall become strong with a small group of people. He flattered the Ptolemies in the south. He flattered other rulers in, in adjacent countries and, and said, I'm going to make an alliance with you. We're going to come. We're going to bring my army. We're going to have a big parade. And then when he got there, he would, he would, he would fight them and overthrow them. He was, he, you, you couldn't trust him for anything. He goes back and forth. 
finally he invades Egypt at one time. When, when he invaded Egypt, he, 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 was, uh, he was successful. Then Egypt raises up an army. He goes back to fight them again, and they, and they, they beat him this time uh, with help from Rome. The Roman uh, general who was there, uh, Papus Gallus, had said, okay, you got a decision to make. You can fight us or you can go home and forget and, 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 and never come back. And he said here, and he drew a circle in the sand around him. And he said, you have until you get out of that circle to make up your mind. And so he, Antiochus was no dummy. Rome is not the strongest point in their empire. This is around 168 B.C., but they're, they're gaining strength. So Antiochus goes back, but when he does, so if he's in Egypt, think of the map, and he's going home to Syria, what does he have to pass through? Israel. He passes through Israel. He's just, he's going back home with his tail between his legs and he, he takes it out on Israel. And so he, he in, in, in those days, about uh, 168 B.C., he goes in, he kills, um, I, I, think, I think as Josephus says, about 80,000 men. He, he takes women and children captive. He, he, he is... Remember, he's a Greek, so he, he wants to make all of the cultures of the lands that he uh, is, is ruling Greek culture. They, they call that Hellenization. And so he, he, he says, no more Mosaic law, no sacrifices, no circumcision. We're getting rid of, he, he burned scripture. He sets up a temple of Zeus in the, I mean, a, 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 an idol, a statue of, of Zeus, the Greek god Zeus, in the temple. And then on December um, 16th, 168 B.C., he sacrifices a pig on the altar. He, he was a, a contemptible, despicable ruler. Now, pause there and, and, and think, why... Does God want Israel to know these things? Do you want to know this or not know it? They're, they're going back. When, when, they're, when, when the angel visits Daniel, 536 B.C., they have just gone back to Israel to rebuild the temple a couple of years, a couple of years prior to that. Think of all of the people. Daniel doesn't live to see you know, probably even Xerxes, the, the, the final great Persian uh, king. But think of all the people who will be in Israel, all the generations from 530 B.C. to 175 B.C. when Antiochus Epiphanes gains power, all of those generations that will be living through those things that God is telling them what's going to happen. That, remember the previous visions when he said the temple is going to be rebuilt, but it's going to be in a troubled time. This, this vision is describing those troubled times when Israel is stuck in between the, 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 the kingdom of the north, the Seleucids, and the kingdom of the south, the, the Ptolemies. And that, that as, they, as they go... It's like all of these things are happening. 
can you get any kind of encouragement in knowing that God foretold these events that were going to happen? Yes. Even though they're, they're bad, they're, they're tribulation. Because when, when we get to that point, we're going to see that in, in verse, in chapter 2, in chapter 12, let's see, in the middle of verse 1, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since. There has been a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. That the end of the vision talks about God's deliverance to his people. Now, that de particular deliverance that is recorded in verse 12 is future even to us. But that they see over and over God telling them that those who stand strong, um, with, you know, they, they will be delivered. It's, it's not a, it's not a, what's the right word? It, it's not necessarily a, a good message that he's giving Daniel of, of, I'm leading you to a land flowing with milk and honey, like he did that, that generation that left Egypt. That it's like, I'm leading you back, but this is going to, bad things are going to happen. Why were the bad things going to happen? Why were they in captivity? Because of their disobedience, their unfaithfulness, their, their idolatry, that, that God had said, if I'm going to take you to the promised land, if you obey me, then nations will fall down before you. You will be, you will be successful and nobody will bother you basically. If you don't, then I am going to punish you. And so they got, Israel got what they deserved, which we can make an application of that too, that, that anyone who sins against God gets what he deserves. But fortunately, God made a plan to, to pay for that penalty. But yeah, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard uh, word that, that he's getting. And, and, and I think he, he even says in verse um, Verse 33, the wise among the people shall make many understand so that those who, who are faithful to God, they, they help others to understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder, that even the wise, even those who are faithful, when it says stumble, I think that it doesn't mean backslide there, but it means that, that, that many will die and then others are going to be taken into captivity. And he says, they, they shall stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble. But here's, the, here's why they're stumbling. So that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. That God is using that to refine them, to, to purify them uh, until the time. 
And along that line, the church historically, many would say, has, has flourished more in times of persecution than in times of everything's okay. Think about the first century, you know, that, that after Jesus ascended and, and, and Peter and the others were preaching there and Pentecost came and then just the, the persecution that they faced in Jerusalem, that what happened? They left. The, 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 the diaspora of, of, of the church going out into the world. And, and now they say the church in China is bigger than it's ever been. That it's, it, and, and most, for the most part, it's, it's, there are some government sanctioned churches, but, but for the most part, it's these home churches, these smaller groups that meet a lot of times, if not all the time, uh, in, in secret but that the church is, is flourishing. What does that mean? Could that mean that we're not flourishing because we're not, we have it too easy? It could. I mean, I, I wonder about that. It, it, are, is it too easy for us in, in America, in the West even, but it's particularly in America, that, that we don't flourish because it's, it's too easy? I mean, you know, that, that we're not faced with... with those persecutions and, and difficulties that other believers are faced with. Yeah, that lasted maybe six months, or I mean, that might be being generous, and and. It's easy to say that everything we have, we give. And if you don't have it, then we need to ask God to give back to us. <laughs> we get it again, then we don't need God again. Right. That's true. I, I listened to part of that this morning on a guy named Frank Turret. Is what do you call a child that doesn't get what he wants? It's his fault. He said another interesting thing you mentioned about the churches growing. We have more access to information about God than even Paul did back in his day. Think about that. Yeah. That we have Bibles on our phones and and multiple Bibles in, in our houses and um, Ha, 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 ha. 
Well, and so what are you going to believe that, um, oh, I can't think of how, how you put it. There's fake news and true news. There, there's fake news that says man can, can solve all of his own problems. Or there's true news that says, no, God made the way for man's redemption. What is truth? Okay, let's read the next section. And we'll try to figure out who this is talking about. Anybody, verse 36, does anybody's translation start with the word then? What, New King James? Okay. I looked at a couple, but I didn't look at that. But I know that it, some translations say then. And then's probably the, a good word to use. Mine says and, but it's just this little conjunction that can be then or and. Um, okay, then the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. That's a good phrase to underline. What is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with silver and gold, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the end, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be, de but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and of all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. He shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious mountain, yet Yet he shall come to, to his end with none to help him. Okay, before we try to figure out who this is, notice that, that last sentence. He shall come to his end with none to help him. We've, we've had at least two other occasions when, when Daniel has a vision and, and is getting... Uh, interpretation of the vision back in 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 chapter 7 verse 26 when it's talking about um, I better look real quick just to make sure I don't get them mixed up chapter 7 is, is the uh, the vision of the four beasts 
and that fourth beast that 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 had the ten horns and then one horn exceed you know surplants the others and that horn just has a mouth on it that won't quit and just you know and, and just saying despicable things and and blaspheme blasphemes God in in the end of of that um, verse 26 in, 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 in chapter 7, his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. That you have this, this big buildup of how evil that little horn is. And then it's kind of like in 10 words or less, tell me what happens. He's destroyed and consumed and thrown into the lake of fire. It doesn't say the lake of fire, but that's, that's the idea. That like that, this evil one is, is destroyed. The same thing in, in chapter 8, verse 25. He shall be broken, but no human hand. And, it, and it's almost like that here in, in, in the end of chapter 11. He shall come to his end with none to help him. That he's, he's done all of these things, these horrible things, and yet he's going to come to an end. That's it. It's, it's almost like... Uh, what, what's the right word? Just this nonchalant uh, report on, oh, well, he died. He was killed. Boom, that was the end of him. Who is this talking about? Verse 36, then the king shall do as he will. It's, it's, it's as if the, the angel is telling Daniel of a new king. Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, was a contemptible evil ruler who subjected Israel to, to horrors, to, to slaughters, that he set up a, an idol of Zeus in the temple. He sacrificed a, a pig on the altar. But remember back earlier when it said the ships of Katim came against him, he was afraid and withdraw and I know it's withdrew. I don't know why I'm even looking. He was afraid and withdrew, goes back home. Does that phrase, then the king shall do as he will, wills, doesn't quite fit Antiochus IV. And as we read on, he will exalt himself. Yeah, he did that. He magnified himself above every God. No, not really above every, as bad as this guy was, he didn't put himself necessarily above all of the gods. He did things and spoke against the God of gods, meaning, meaning Yahweh, the, the God of Israel. But that it seems like that this, the vision is, is turning to someone else in the future. Antiochus Epiphanes is certainly a, a, a type or a preview of the, the Antichrist that's, that's yet to come that, that we saw in, in chapter 7, chapter 8, even, um, okay, I know those two have it, so I'm not going to say any, any other chapters before I give you the wrong, the wrong information. But that, that the, the last part of this passage and then chapter 12 seems to be talking about even something in the future for, for us. But, and that this and that this one, this one who will come to to rule will be on, you know, 
as bad as or even worse than Antiochus the, the fourth. It says he shall, he shall not pay any attention to any other God, magnify himself, um, a God whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with silver and gold. That doesn't really fit Antiochus Epiphanes, that there, there's enough uh, other historical writings from Josephus. Um, you can also look in, in the Apocrypha, it's kind of a, an in-between testament time that, that Protestants, for the most part, don't, don't deem to be inspired word, but the book of Maccabees that records the whole of, of, of Antiochus Epiphanes and all the, the battles that this family, um, Matthias uh, Maccabeus, rose up and, and, um, and fought against and, and rebelled against Antiochus the, the fourth, and that they ended up defeating him, and 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 that's the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah. It's in it's in December of, of 164 BC that they finally threw off that yoke. But now he's he's talking about a seems to be another leader that doesn't really really hit and and. There may be some similarities with Antiochus Epiphanes, but there's, there are some, some differences. And then he talks about this battle. One of, the, one of the big differences is that he's going to pitch his tent between the sea and the, and the glorious land or the holy mountain that Antiochus Epiphanes died over in Syria. He's talking about something between Israel and the, and the Mediterranean Sea, which sounds like a place kind of like Megiddo, but... You know, we you can get we can get way past my brain power when we start. Then you know, trying to to combine all of that. What is the 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 the, the gist of it? That there's going to continue to be those who oppose God and 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 the worship of the one true God. The Apostle John, I mean, we, Corey read his, his, from his gospel today, but in, in, in his first letter, he says there will be many antichrists. You know, they're even here then. And that was 2,000 years ago that through history there have been multiple antichrists who are opposed to, to God. This, this passage here is, is talking about the ultimate Antichrist who will be there in the, in the in, at end times, in, in the very end before the, 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 the final victory when, when Christ comes and, and every knee bows and every tongue confesses. He sets up his kingdom forever. So how do we apply, I keep coming back to that, how do we apply such a passage that's that's kind of like this is hard to accept and I don't want this kind of, you know, future for myself of these things. How do we, how do we apply that? St. Clair Ferguson, uh, one, one um, observation that he, he, that he makes is after all is said and done on this difficult chapter, we shall not lose sight of the fact that its whole function was to encourage Daniel to faithfulness. And he adds, in prayer, what started this vision? Daniel was mourning and fasting. 
when the angel came, he, he, he said, as soon as your words were heard. So Daniel was mourning and fasting and praying. And so, and, 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 and God sends this angel to give him this, this revelation, this vision, and it's to encourage him, to strengthen him, stand strong because things aren't going to be easy. Now, Daniel's in his 80s or 90s and, and near the end of his life, but for God's people, those who will read, the, the next generation that reads this. And think about Israel. In, in 536, when this was written, they've got about 80 more years when, when there are active prophets in the nation. But at about 444, 445 B.C., when, when Nehemiah goes back to, to, to Israel and, and Malachi, a contemporary of Nehemiah, all of a sudden there's a 400-plus year void in God sending them prophets. But they have his word from, 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 from Daniel, from Isaiah, from, from Jeremiah. But just think about living in those days before the coming of the Messiah. Sinclair Ferguson goes on and he says, by showing him, by showing Daniel that the real conflict lying behind world events is spiritual, that's what we saw in chapter 10, the Lord is teaching Daniel that the real weapon of the church is prayer. Do we think of that? Remember in Ephesians 6 when, 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 when Paul's saying, put on the armor of God, and then he says, pray without ceasing. Make supplication. It's like Mary was saying, uh, it's like the last resort. Is that the right word? I mean, it's like our last uh, thing that we do. It was part of Daniel's life all the time. Even when Darius was conned into making a decree saying that anyone who prays is going to be cast into the lion's den, he was already praying. He wasn't going to stop. It's, it's, it's one of those things that's almost like, well, yeah, I, I know that. But we have to be reminded of, of prayer is, is, is our our the best weapon that we have. It, and it's the only weapon that we need, that, that, we, that we, we pray because who is in control? God is in control. Let me give you a couple of observations that I stole these um, from uh, a guy you know, all work and no plagiarism makes Dave a dull teacher. Okay, so I, I, I stole these guys. He's actually from um, Texas or North Texas, but he's a, he's, he's a pastor, associate pastor somewhere. I'm not sure where he is now. Maybe North Carolina. When, when I, I heard a sermon by this guy. His name is John Henderson. And he went to A&M, so don't hold that against him. And then he, he studied at, at, at North Texas. He was on staff at Denton Bible Church for a while. He was at, this, at Delray Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia a few years ago when they were doing this series on, on Daniel. It's just a podcast that I just 
came across, but he made some interesting observations. So rather than plagiarize, I, I will accredit John Henderson. Number one, God sees and hears and cares about his people. The Daniel's prayer. And he says that, and, and, and then expanding, expounding on that, he says that God knows his children by name. How many kings are mentioned in here? The passage is chapter 10, 11, and 12. How many kings? There's between 13 and 17 kings and some daughters. There's one or two of them named Cleopatra. It's not the Cleopatra with Mark Antony, but it's, and, and Julius Caesar, but it's, it's, it's maybe her great, great, great grandmama. How many of them are mentioned? And yet, when the angel comes, what does he say to Daniel? Daniel, man, greatly loved. That, that God, of course God knows the names of all these kings, but he makes a point of having this personal relationship with, with Daniel, that God knows his children. He doesn't even mention all these kings that are supposedly, allegedly in control, but, but Daniel's name is mentioned several times. So he hears and cares about his people. God determines, guides, and governs human history according to his plan. Well, what does that mean? Think about it this way, that the events by which God accomplishes salvation are real events. It's, it's not, there's that word again, fake news. It's, it's not it's not mythology. As, as, as the passage that, that Corey looked at this morning of J Jesus, a real person who had an address in Nazareth, in, in Galilee. Jesus had a real house there before he left and, and began his, his public ministry. You know, I don't know that they necessarily had mailboxes, but that he had an address, you know. Where, where does Joseph, the carpenter, right there? And, and you know, when, when you live out here, a lot of times people don't know the name of the road. They're like, you go to so-and-so's house and you turn right, and then you go to so-and-so's house and you turn left, and then there's a green barn or something, and then go about 100 yards and turn in the next drive on the right, and you'll be there. Okay, I got it. Jesus had a real address. He walked and, 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 and talked with people. And then the event this morning, as he was arrested, it really happened. And, and there are other historical accounts that attest to that. And so that God uses real events in history. We're not reading of some mythology that somebody made up or some vision that some prophet had of some, some other God. That it's, that it's real events. Do, do we remember that and think of that? Oh, those are just old stories. No, they were, they were real events. And God works in history and continues to work in history in, in setting up, it says he, he sets up kings and he brings down kings. He sets up nations and he brings down nations according to his plan. We don't know every minute step of his plan, but we do know at the end that that rock 
uncut by human hands will crush all of the worldly kingdoms, the earthly kingdoms, and his saints shall inherit the new kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, and there will be a kingdom that lasts forever, an eternal kingdom. So we know that. So yeah, there are a lot of discouraging things that are going to happen. That some are in the past, at least up till verse 35. Some are in the future that, that Christians will face tribulation. And what, what is our answer? It's, it's prayer. And it's realizing that, that God knows His children individually by name. You know, it's always fun when somebody calls you by your name when you're somewhere and it's like somebody knows you. It's like, oh, you know, like, like Corey is talking about when you, when you feel, I don't remember what his metaphor was, a duck out of water or, or, or you feel a fish, a fish out of water. Which one is it? Fish out of water? Okay. A fish out of water is probably better than a duck out of water. Who, who, who came up with a duck out of water <laughs> that you feel totally out of, you know, in, I don't belong here. But in the presence of God, yeah, we don't, but He chooses us, and so we do belong here. Okay, those are my stolen observations, borrowed. What, what do you see in, in, in the passage? Anything else that, that we... I know it's not the Sunday before Easter, but I think we'll finish Daniel next week. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to see where we go. Um, I thought about Esther because it's part of the, you know, Israel in exile, but um, maybe you're tired of historical narrative from the Old Testament, and there's a good New Testament book that's written to exiles, uh, First Peter. So I don't know. i got to read them both and see what, what maybe we should do next. Well, let's pray and then we'll go. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we know that though we face tribulation and trials, that you're in control and that one day Christ will return and set up his eternal kingdom. God, may we be faithful prayer warriors while we're waiting. God, may, may we be faithful disciples and followers of Christ as we're left here on, on this earth while we're waiting for his return or for you to call us home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.